What's going on, everybody? Welcome on in to a very special edition of the Matt Lombardo Show, live from Mobile, Alabama, and the Senior Bowl. The Super Bowl matchup is set. Of course, I am heavy sports senior NFL insider Matt Lombardo. What a couple of great championship games we had this past weekend. What a really fascinating, interesting matchup we have coming up in Super Bowl 57. Of course, it's the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. Can't wait to get into all of it. Can't wait to break it all down over the next two weeks. And of course, if you enjoy the podcast, just a little bit of housekeeping for you, as always, please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, all your favorite podcast platforms to search for The Matt Lombardo Show. Toss us a like on YouTube. And if you're a fan, if you've been with us from the beginning, if you tune in every single week, we'd really appreciate it if you left a five-star review in the Apple Podcast Store, because those really do help grow the show. Let us know what you like, maybe a guest or two that you love to hear from in the next couple of weeks, and we'll read the review on the air. And then we'll go try and get that guest on. But let's just get right into it, because I was at the NFC Championship game at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia on Sunday afternoon. And man, what a demolition that was, especially when it comes to the performance of the Eagles front seven. Because when you look at the absolutely relentless pressure that the 49ers were under from their very first possession in the very first quarter, you think about the effort from Hassan Reddick, the Philly kid born and raised in Cherry Hill just across the river goes to Temple, plays his college games at Lincoln Financial Field in the cherry and white, and he made the biggest play, the most impactful play of the Eagles' entire season when he strip-sacked Brock Purdy, not only forcing a turnover, but knocking the Cinderella quarterback himself, Brock Purdy, out of the game with an elbow injury that he had to come back into the game later on, but he couldn't throw the ball more than three to four yards past the line of scrimmage. It completely limited completely limited Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers offensive playbook. And then you think later on, Javon Hargrave knocks Josh Johnson, the fourth string quarterback out of the game with a possible concussion. And you watch that game in the third quarter. And and before that, even before you got to halftime, I think you had to give the 49ers a lot of credit. You had that massive touchdown run from Christian McCaffrey, where he broke like 17 tackles on his way to the end zone. You think about the four possession uh, possessions for the Eagles after their opening drive, their opening touchdown, they only had 13 yards. So if you're D'Amico Ryans, you had to feel really good about the effort in the, the end of the first half in the second quarter. But you watch that game unfold after halftime. You watch the third quarter. And it really felt like the 49ers quit. And I thought from a Philadelphia perspective, if you're an Eagles fan, obviously you're excited. They're going to the Super Bowl, and I'm sure that hotel bookings have really spiked out of the Delaware Valley in the Glendale area for Super Bowl week. But I thought the offense did just enough to win the game. I didn't think Jalen Hurts played particularly well. He had an MVP caliber season, but I didn't think he was exactly spectacular from the pocket on Sunday afternoon in the title game. He only threw for 121 yards. But here's... What was the difference for Jalen Hurts? Here's what makes Jalen Hurts so important for the Philadelphia Eagles and to the Philadelphia Eagles offense, that when they needed him most, when they needed Jalen Hurts to make a play, to make a couple of big plays on the ground, he stepped up. And you have to give a lot of credit to the gutty performance on that fourth quarter drive where Hurts rushed for 29 yards, including a scramble where he got just – wrecked just truck stick remember all the madden video games the hit stick that's what happened to jalen hurts down near the goal line and a little bit later on that drive he takes a cheap shot out of bounds ultimately 
cashes in on a one-yard quarterback sneak for a touchdown, but taking those two massive shots, picking himself off the canvas like Rocky Balboa, sticking in there, and then punching it in to put the game on ice, you got to give Jalen Hurts a lot of credit for how he performed on that particular performance, on that particular drive. And I think that the lion's share of the credit for the Eagles' win on Sunday afternoon has to go to that offensive line. You look at the play of the offensive line, especially the interior with Jason Kelsey on that first touchdown run by Miles Sanders. Man, it, you, you put it in, and it's coaching tape. It's what every offensive line coach will pop in on the video board every week. Hey, look at what the Eagles did on that draw play, springing Miles Sanders for the touchdown. And that's been the real key to the Eagles' success all year long. It's been Jalen Hurts playing at an MVP caliber level at quarterback. It's been their ability to run the football. It's been using the running game to set up the big play to A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith on the perimeter. And what I really love about Jalen Hurts, what I think puts him in that top five or so conversation of the top quarterbacks in the league, is it's maximum effort at all times behind a great offensive line. But Sunday afternoon in the fourth quarter, even when the numbers weren't there, even when the production wasn't spectacular, that offensive line and Jalen Hurts willed the Eagles across the finish line and into the Super Bowl against one of the better front sevens and one of the stingier defenses that the Eagles faced all season long. But the story for the Eagles on Sunday, just as it's been throughout the postseason, when you look at what they did to the Giants and that offensive line and Daniel Jones the previous week in the divisional round, the biggest storyline and the biggest driver of the Eagles' success has been their pass rush. You look at Hassan Reddick, two more sacks. He now has the Eagles' franchise record for most postseason sacks in a single postseason run. And he's just two sacks shy of the NFL record for playoff sacks in one postseason run. And he has a chance to break that in the Super Bowl. He's been the Eagles' defensive MVP all year. You look at the effort that he gave in that game, coming off of being snubbed, as one of the defensive player of the year finalists, it was pretty impressive. And I'm going to have a lot more on Hassan Reddick in my weekly column on heavy.com later this week. I hope you check it out. But it wasn't just the sacks. The Eagles logged seven quarterback hurries. They were in Brock Purdy and Josh Johnson's face all game long. They knocked them out of the game. They took the passing game completely out of the playbook, the threat of a passing game out of Kyle Shanahan's offense late in that game. The headline from the, the post-game takeaways on heavy.com, the Eagles bullied the 49ers, punching their Super Bowl ticket. They certainly did. And that game, that win, was really a performance that typified Howie Roseman's roster-building philosophy. For the Eagles, dating back to the Andy Reid era, for as long as Howie Roseman has been at the controls, it's been all about dominance along both lines of scrimmage. And that was a clutch performance from newcomers like Hassan Reddick, and on offense, guys that Roseman drafted, hand-picked Howie Roseman players like Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith, and of course, during the regular season, the acquisition, the draft night heist of A.J. Brown. And afterwards, after the game in the Eagles locker room at Lincoln Financial Field, I caught up with inside linebacker Kazir White, another veteran addition this offseason, who's been a strong veteran presence in that room. And I'll tell you what, he had nothing but praise for the Eagles' defensive line. Here's that conversation. Hey, so, uh, first of all, take me through the feeling of, of getting past this game, going to the Super Bowl. What, what's going through your mind at the end of this game? Man, 
it's everything I dreamed of, but you know, as a little boy when I was five years old, started playing football, man. I don't know, man. I was a big, uh, you know, K-Man fan, so, you know, just seeing him, you know, the look on his face when he went to his Super Bowl, you know, Tom Brady, and, you know what I mean? The Eagles when they won in the, you know, what was that, 2017? And I visited this, you know what I mean? You know, just to be, to get a win and be heading to Arizona to compete for the Super Bowl, it's everything to me. Obviously, the job not done, but, you know, I got to look back and, uh, you know, pat myself on the back a little bit and uh, just take a moment to reflect. Uh, you know, I came a long way. What's worked so well for this front seven? I mean, obviously, you guys had like four sacks last week. Yeah, you had the front seven, I've never been on a team. I've never played with a group at the Bidwell. Yeah, yeah, they go get the, uh, no knock on nobody. I'm just saying as a collective, like, they go and get the, the quarterback at ease, man. It's easy. But then the blink of an eye, if they don't got that ball out, sack. You know what I mean? Just make our job easier. I'll make everybody in the secondary job easier. Yeah, and I, I tip my hat off to the whole defense, but... Specifically, that, that new line. And, and how big was the turnover? You, you, you know, forced the fumble with Rock Purdy, and it seems like that kind of took them. You know, yeah, got hurt. Johnson gets hurt. It seems like it took the wind completely out of their sails. Oh yeah, for sure, man. You know, that was just momentum, man. You know, they, I know they thought they were going to come here and run the ball on us, uh, figure they do what they want. Uh, you know, they feel like they got a, um, you know, good offensive coordinator or head coach, which they do. Uh, you know, calling plays and things like that. So you know, I feel like they were uh, riding high, especially after the performance that they had. You know, against the Cowboys and then, you know, the previous week. Uh, so, you know, we just wanted to come and uh, stop that, shut that down. And last one, you know, this defense, a lot of veterans. You've got guys like you, Hassan, James yeah. Bradbury, because they're white, and, and uh, Gardner Johnson in the back. Like, yeah. you know, what, what's that vibe like this I late did. in the year with so much veteran leadership? So, you're you already. Until lean on. Um, man, it's, it's, it's the chemistry, man. Uh, you know, we all have fun and uh, actually enjoy, like, you know, playing with each other. We spend a lot of time and time together in the locker room, you know, hours after practice is done, uh, in between meetings and stuff like that. We, you know, we all got to know each other real well, and uh, I, I just feel like, uh, you know, the chemistry really is going to take us far. Now, we're obviously going to preview this Eagles-Chiefs matchup pretty thoroughly and pretty in-depth next week when we're on the road again in Phoenix ahead of the Super Bowl. But I think we learned a lot, big picture, about who these teams are and on Championship Sunday, I think it was pretty evident that for the Eagles, their chances of winning their second Lombardi trophy, and really for the Chiefs too, it comes down to who wins along the lines of scrimmage. I mean, these this is arguably the best offensive line in football in Philadelphia. And there's an absolute game wrecker on the other side in Kansas City. And the biggest question mark for the Eagles, it, it's not about whether Jalen Hurts rises to the moment and rises to the, the occasion. It's not even about whether or not they're going to be as dominant on the ground as they have been. It's very specifically, can the Eagles offensive line do this again? And can they do it against Chris Jones? Do they have an answer for Chris Jones, who was just a one-man wrecking crew against the Cincinnati Bengals? If you read my column last week on Heavy.com, I asked around a handful of executives, coaches, and scouts across the league, who were the non-quarterbacks who are going to decide Chiefs-Bengals and Eagles Niners. And I thought an NFC executive put it best when he told me that Chris Jones was that guy. Chris Jones was him because you could line him up anywhere along the line of scrimmage. And he's a matchup nightmare for a tackle, a guard, or a center. And Jones proved that against the Bengals. He was spectacular. He didn't just have two sacks. He had five quarterback hits and three tackles for loss. 
he essentially took up residence in the Chiefs in the Bengals' backfield. He harassed Joe Burrow all afternoon long. And as otherworldly as Patrick Mahomes was, as impressive and gutty as that performance was by Patrick Mahomes, and he was as magical as ever. And you can see that he was playing that game with a massive chip on his shoulder. You could tell Patrick Mahomes heard the conversation all week about Joe Burrow and the debate about whether Mahomes or Burrow were the best quarterback in the league, about Burrow, Burrow Head Stadium. Mahomes heard all that. And you could tell, especially on that play where he stepped up in the pocket, scrambled on that ankle of his and fired a ball into the tightest of windows to Marcus Valdez-Scantling for a touchdown on third and long. Not to mention the run where he took the late hit from Joseph aside to put the game on ice and put the Chiefs in position to kick the game-winning field goal. Holmes was extra motivated to win that game, and he put the Chiefs' offense on his shoulders, and he did it in the clutch, as we've come to expect many times over the course of his young career. But that game was won for the Chiefs by Chris Jones. Especially late in that game, he was downright unblockable. He was even more disruptive than maybe a lot of people, myself included, thought that he was going to be. Because I don't know about anybody else watching that game if you had this feeling in the fourth quarter where Joe Burrow and the Bengals offense got the ball back with two minutes to go, their final drive, their final possession, their final meaningful chance to drive down the field and kick a field goal to take a lead at 23-20. to 20. I really felt that that was it. I really felt that that was going to be the last time that Andy Reid called an offensive play was the play that he called before punting from the 37-yard line. I thought it was over right then and there, but the Chiefs defense and Chris Jones absolutely slammed the door shut. Chris Jones paved the way for the Chiefs to advance to the Super Bowl. And I really can't wait for this matchup in two weeks. I really can't wait to see strength on strength because that, that's what this is going to be. The strength of the Eagles offensive line against the strength of the Chiefs defensive line and really vice versa. I think the Eagles defensive line has a chance to really feast in this game, similar to how they did against the 49ers, but that's neither here nor there. And sure, Patrick Mahomes versus Jalen Hurts is going to be fun. It's going to be great buildup. It's another conversation of the greatest of the moment in Patrick Mahomes going up against a great quarterback of the future in Jalen Hurts with a bright future in front of him. And sure, the Eagles receivers are awesome, and they're going to test the Chiefs' young secondary. But the battle between the Eagles offensive line and the Chiefs' front seven is going to be epic and that matchup alone that matchup might decide who lifts the Lombardi trophy in Arizona and who gets to go home and host a parade in their hometown and overall this Super Bowl is just overflowing with storylines you look at some of the matchups over the last couple of years the last handful of years you know last season it was Sean McVay versus Zach Taylor two bright offensive minds right it was the super team and the Los Angeles Rams after trading for Matthew Stafford and you have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and all of this talent against Joe Burrow the upstart and Jamar Chase weapons on weapons everywhere great defense Lou Anarumo's defense fun matchups but the storylines in this game they're historic, in my opinion, just especially stemming from Andy Reid's connection to both teams. And I've read a lot on the flight down here to Mobile. I read Peter King. I read Sports Illustrated's Monday morning column. But I don't know that anybody summed this matchup better, summed up this matchup better than my good friend Mike Tanier from Football Outsiders. 
Because this game, this Super Bowl really is Andy Reid against his legacy. Because don't forget, Andy Reid handpicked Howie Roseman as his capologist, his contract negotiator. And of course, Roseman goes on to become just an elite talent evaluator. You know, the winner of the Pro Football Writers Executive of the Year Award. And he should take home the NFL Executive of the Year Award in a landslide as well. But you look at what Roseman did in Philadelphia. It all stems from the philosophy of Andy Reid. Howie Roseman built arguably the NFL's most complete team and leading the Eagles to two Super Bowls in five years with two different head coaches and two different quarterbacks. And that's an elite accomplishment in its own right. But as far as the Andy Reid thread line is concerned, Andy Reid drafted Jason Kelsey. Andy Reid drafted Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. And all three players were instrumental to the Eagles winning the Super Bowl for the first time in Super Bowl 52. And all three are having dominant seasons, arguably the best season of Brandon Graham's career. He should be the comeback player of the year. All three of those guys, Cox, Graham, and Kelsey, are leading the charge for the Eagles into this Super Bowl, their second Super Bowl in five seasons, making a significant impact. But I think this goes even a level deeper than that when it comes to Andy Reid and his legacy. And when I say that, it's not just, as Mike Tanier put it, him against his legacy in Philadelphia, his new creation in Kansas City uh, against the Frankenstein that he helped create in Philadelphia. I really think that this matchup between the head coaches is really fascinating. I think it has the chance to really alter our perception of Andy Reid and where he sits on the all-time list. But just from the chess match of the game within the game, you have two really different philosophies here. You have Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia and his hyper-aggressive analytics-driven approach. You saw it on Sunday afternoon in the championship game. It wasn't just how routinely Sirianni goes for it on fourth down. He did it twice in the first quarter. But on the Eagles' opening drive, he goes for it on fourth and three. They didn't just line up and try to run a toss sweep. They didn't send Miles Sanders on a swing pass. No, they chucked the ball deep. They went to Devonta Smith deep down the sideline. They went for the jugular on fourth and three in the first quarter. And you compare and contrast that to Andy Reid's relatively conservative in-game decisions, including punting from the 37-yard line late in the fourth quarter. It paid off because the defense stepped up. But these are two very divergent views on in-game management between Nick Sirianni and Andy Reid. And Reid benefited in the fourth quarter, and his decision worked out because the Bengals' offensive line picked the worst possible moment to fold like a cheap tent in front of Joe Burrow. And I think that we are really going to witness in this Super Bowl matchup a classic old-school versus new-school philosophical matchup between these two head coaches. And to go one step even further than that, I really believe Andy Reid has the opportunity in this Super Bowl to cement his status as a top-five coach in NFL history all time, bare minimum of the modern era. Because when you get right down to it, it's not just impressive that Howie Roseman was able to go out and build two Super Bowl teams in five years with two different organizations, theoretically, two different head coaches, two different starting quarterbacks. But Reed has built from the foundation, from the ground up, two consistently competitive organizations that are right in the mix 
for the Super Bowl every single year. And if he gets the job done, if Andy Reid beats the Eagles in this Super Bowl, this will be his second Super Bowl win. And that puts him knocking on the doorstep of Bill Walsh and Don Shula. And Reid will have done it in a salary cap era, which I think makes it all the more impressive. Because when you look at the coaches that did it in the 70s and the 80s and won multiple rings, they didn't face the same challenges that Andy Reid has faced in this modern era. He's been to nine conference championship games. And the fact that he's done that, building two different organizations from the ground up, that raises him above, in my opinion, Tom Landry and the Chuck Knowles of the world because they were at the helm of conference dynasties in the AFC and the NFC in an era where player movement was virtually unheard of and sustained success was a lot more attainable because you didn't have to deal with a salary cap era. You didn't have to deal with as many egos. You didn't have the era of free agency. Reed has had to deal with all of that. He's drafted well. They've added veterans where needed. And you just look at his fingerprints on both organizations, Howie Roseman in Philadelphia, Brett Veach in Kansas City, Andy Reed guys. Andy Reed guys. And beyond Andy Reed himself, the coaching tree. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl. John Harbaugh won a Super Bowl. The Andy Reid coaching tree is in the mix almost every year. You have an Andy Reid assistant who's doing pretty big things. That raises the bar. So if Andy Reid and the Chiefs win this game, if they win this Super Bowl, I think we're going to look at the all-time coaching hierarchy as Vince Lombardi and Bill Belichick, Don Shula and Bill Walsh, they're the Mount Rushmore. And I don't know that anybody's knocking any of them off. But Andy Reid would be fifth all-time, in my opinion. I, I think you vault Andy Reid into that conversation, and I don't think he's done. As long as Patrick Mahomes is there, I don't see Andy Reid retiring. And as long as Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, it comes down to, at least watching the way things are headed in the AFC, the Chiefs, the Bengals, and the Bills. Andy Reid's going to have the chance to add to that legacy, and I think that we're going to look at him as one of the top five coaches all time if they can win this second Super Bowl. Speaking of coaches, the coaching carousel has spun and spun, and as we record this on Tuesday afternoon, a couple big hires were made. If you've read heavy over the last couple of weeks, if you listened to the podcast, especially last week, my conversation with Nolan Carroll, talking about D'Amico Ryans, but also talking about Sean Payton, You'll know I've been pretty all in on this Denver Broncos-Sean Payton connection. And on Tuesday afternoon, the Broncos trade a first-round pick, a second-round pick to the New Orleans Saints for Sean Payton and a third-rounder. So they have their guy. Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos commit to each other. They get the job done. And I think that when you look at this and how it's unfolded, sure, it's been a meandering coaching search, but most coaching searches are, Right. The Eagles were left at the altar before they wound up getting Nick Sirianni. Josh McDaniels pulled his name out of consideration when he was effectively hired by the Indianapolis Colts, right? Not always the first choice, but the Broncos, after talking to Jim Harbaugh, after kicking the tires on D'Amico Ryans and realizing that wasn't going to work out, well, they go and get Sean Payton. And you look at that division – I don't know that that's where I'd be hitching my wagon when you look at the quarterbacks there where you have to face Justin Herbert twice now with Kellen Moore as their offensive coordinator. I don't know that I'd want to go into that situation where you have to face 
Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs twice. But hey, if anybody can resurrect Russell Wilson from the grasp of Father Time, it's Sean Payton, who had a big season, went 5-0 and at one point with Teddy Bridgewater as his quarterback. And they have good receivers there. Jerry Judy's a good player. He's a playmaker. There's some young talent in Denver. Decent def- defense. A lot of talent on defense. Isaiah Simmons can play. But the other big hire, the other one that I'm really excited about and I think was, I don't want to say destined to happen. That, that might be strong language for the situation, but a great fit for everybody involved. D'Amico Ryans hired as the Houston Texans head coach. He goes home to an organization that viewed him as their captain when he was a rookie. They have a really young defense there. Jalen Petrie is a Pro Bowl caliber safety and was flying under the radar this season. I think he's a breakout star to watch in 2023. Jerry Hughes, quality pass rusher. And Derek Stingley has a Pro Bowl or all-pro caliber skill set. And in that division, in the AFC South, sure, the Jaguars are coming on like a jail on rails. Sure, Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence lit it up this year, and I think they've played their way into that hierarchy as one of the five or six best teams in the AFC, all things considered, with their youth, their assets, and an ascending quarterback. But the Tennessee Titans, they're on the decline. They're fading, right? Why can't the Texans, if you go out and you get a quarterback like C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, and you hand the keys to that defense to D'Amico Ryans after what he did in San Francisco, after what that scheme has done, strangling out the rest of the league, look out. I love the fit. I love the hire. I think the Texans' future is, is pretty bright. So I think if you're grading both of these hires, the floor, the baseline, is an A- minus for both. Sean Payton going to Denver, which I think is a great fit, and D'Amico Ryans going home to the Houston Texans. All right, let's get back into the Super Bowl with the postseason talk. Let's hand out the Lombardo Trophy this week. A couple places we could have gone, but I don't think that any were more obvious than Patrick Mahomes. The stat line, it's what you need to say from your quarterback in a championship game with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. 29 to 43, 326 yards, two touchdowns. He scrambled for eight yards, and it was Mahomes' magic at the highest level. He was as magical and dynamic as he's ever been, facing the incredible adversity of the injury and a top-tier defense while being hobbled by the ankle. And there were a couple moments in that game where he got knocked down and the ankle got rolled up on a little bit. And even Tony Romo was basically saying in the booth to kind of hold your breath. Mahomes kept picking himself up off the carpet. And watching that unfold, especially late, that was some Willis Reed type stuff. It was as cathartic a victory as I think we've seen in the NFL, at least this season and dating back a couple of years. Just look at how the Chiefs acted on the podium. And how Travis Kelsey took a shot at the Cincinnati mayor after that bizarre video tweet hyping up the Bengals and kind of trash-talking Mahomes and the Chiefs. They took the Burrowhead stuff personally. You could tell the whole team did. Kelsey, Chris Jones. Patrick Mahomes' dad was smoking a cigar on the podium. He said, I'm smoking that Joe Burrow. Right? They took it personally. Mahomes took it personally. He takes home the Lombardo Trophy, Patrick Mahomes does. But I think another thing that was very evident is those were the two best quarterbacks in the league today. I think they're going to be the best two quarterbacks in this league for many years. And at least today in 2023, it's a wide margin from Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes in tier one to everybody else. 
But Mahomes had the kind of performance that reiterates that he's still the top dog, that he's still the premier quarterback in the NFL because of performances like that. Really enjoyed this show. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for checking in. Thanks, as always, to Thomas Darrow. does an outstanding job behind the glass. Instrumental to get the podcast up and running each and every single week. If you enjoyed it, please go ahead and read my work at heavy.com. You can follow along at Matt Lombardo NFL on Twitter. It's been a lot of fun here in Mobile. Next week, we will be live from the Super Bowl in Phoenix, Arizona. That should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. I'm Matt Lombardo. I'll talk to you next week on the Matt Lombardo Show presented by Heavy Sports.